a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Alice this month. Uh, Alice and I will be back to talk about The Last Jedi as soon as it is uh, out. We're probably going to record the day after or maybe two days after it drops here in the States and we're going to give you our thoughts about it and I can't wait to talk about it. I am so hyped for the movie. I've been reading a ton of Star Wars novels. I'm in the middle of Phasma right now. I have uh, a few books on the way to me right now. I have the uh, Greg Rucka uh the Wills book, I forget exactly what it's called. I have uh, the um, A Certain Point of View anthology. And I have Canto Bite, which is four stories by four different authors, one of whom is on the show today. John Jackson Miller was nice enough to uh, spend some time with me on Skype last week. We talked for 45 or so minutes about writing in the Star Wars universe, his Star Wars fandom, and lots of other stuff. It's a great conversation. He was super fun and uh, forthcoming. And I think, I mean, it has me really excited about Cancel Bite. I hope it has the same effect for you. So um, we are going to, again, be back later this month after The Last Jedi opens. But until then, you can always uh, tweet at me. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. Alice is at Alice W. Castle. The show is at Force Ghost C2C. And uh, we hope to hear from you with all your Last Jedi thoughts. Maybe we'll try and do a, uh, like a Q&A. I don't know. We'll see. I'm speaking for Alice, and I probably shouldn't be, but uh, anyway, here's my chat with John Jackson Miller, author of uh, Kenobi, A New Dawn, Cancel Bite, and lots, lots more. So thanks for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you. Well, John, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us tonight. Uh, I was, you know, it's, it's funny, so I, a little bit of my Star Wars history here, because we always like to ask folks who are on the show what the beginning of their Star Wars fandom was. But uh, I was a kid who grew up, you know, watching the original trilogy with my dad, and then uh, as a middle schooler, I encountered Timothy Zahn's work, and that sort of got me from casual Star Wars Star Wars fan to obsessive Star Wars fan. So what was that for you? Well, what was the what was the big moment in your life that brought you really into your Star Wars fandom? Well, uh, I I knew that other kids were talking about it, uh and I knew that yeah, my sister definitely uh knew about it because she was uh at the time working at the local uh, department stores, record department, uh, back when department stores had record departments. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, and so they, uh, so she had the, the star Wars, uh, soundtrack album, uh, that had that wonderful poster in the middle of it that had absolutely nothing to do with anything <laughs> happening in the battle of the death star. It, would, it was just a, a mishmash of lots and lots of, uh, spaceships, uh, blasting each other. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly when I got that, but, uh, again, uh, one of the many things that was out there surrounding Star Wars in 1977. Uh, and, of course, the comics. Uh, the very first sort of grown-up comic book I ever read was uh, Star Wars number one. Once they put the first three issues of Star Wars in those uh, bagged editions that they sold in Walgreens. 
And so, you know, I, uh, I had read the Star Wars story uh, before I actually got in to see the movie. Couldn't actually get in for a long time because it was only playing uh, at, uh, at one theater in town. Uh, that was near us, and uh, you know, every time we would go, we wouldn't be able to get in because it was sold out. Uh, I ended up dedicating the novel Kenobi to my sister for making sure that I finally got in to see it, uh, <laughs> because uh, if not, uh, you know, that would have that would have been bad. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it was uh, it was you know, clearly something that um, you know was a was a big deal at the time, and uh, you know, then once I uh, I, I ended up. Moving from uh, you know, one neighborhood to another uh, in 1978, and was starting at a new school. And uh, Star Wars gave me a, a way to uh, connect with uh, some of the other kids really early. Uh, you know, another one of my friends that I met there. Uh, he and I, you know, created our own sort of you know, universe, uh, you know, shared universe of uh, of. Uh, you know, futuristic outer space things with lots of starships and lots of aliens. Uh, and uh, I still need to get some of that stuff back from him because uh, <laughs> we, we spent so much time working on it that, uh, uh, you know, his his dad took the notebook away from him that had all the stuff in it. And uh, it's someplace in his house. We don't know where it is. <laughs> well, good luck recovering that. that. That sounds like one of those great treasures from our childhood that gets, you know, it was big. I mean, it was. It, we had something like a thousand pages uh, wow. in multiple different notebooks. Uh, you know, the model that we kind of based it on was. Uh, uh, you know, Star Trek had uh, Scotty's Guide to the Enterprise uh, and you know, technical guide, and so you know, every one of the you know pages uh, you know was uh, you know greatly indexed in you know a, a table of contents and everything. So you know, we had a whole section on. Uh, medical droids and a whole section on you know, you know, the city layouts and things. It was it was crazy. So yeah, that would be great to find. If uh, I I know it still exists, and uh, I I still talk to the guy on Facebook every so often. Although I haven't seen him in thirty odd years, so hopefully we'll find <laughs> that stuff one day. Uh, I mean, that must have prepared you in some way for writing Star Wars and Star Trek novels. You know, just to have that sort of love of of minutia probably helps in that way. Well, certainly we were uh, world building. I mean, that that's uh, and and what I found with that uh, was that I kept trying to turn it into a story, and and he was really more interested in you know the world building stuff, uh, just you know, adding more stuff to it. Uh, I, I, I actually do have, and I, this, this stuff I still do have because I kept everything that I wrote story-wise. So my files have the, the beginnings of, you know, I was, I was doing like a, a, a it was going to be an eight novel uh, or, or rather an eight movie, uh, series, uh, <laughs> based on, based on, uh, you know, this universe that we had when I was 12. Uh, and I still have the, you know, the plot, uh, synopses for the first, you know, three or four, uh, of those. Actually, I was doing them out of order because I figured if George Lucas was going to do the movies out of order, why couldn't we? Uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, you know, what movie? I don't have any idea what that, you know, you know what that would have been. You know, this is the kind of stuff you think about when you're 12 or 13 or whatever. But I was always driven toward thinking, you know, just having all these details is not nearly as important uh, as having some sort of a narrative to tell with this thing. Uh, because obviously Star Wars and Star Trek didn't spring from 
you know, a, a, a notebook full of sketches or drawings of, of uh, you know, what the ships would look like and the aliens would look like or anything. That came later uh, after they had a story uh, or it came as they were working on the story. Uh, but, you know, the, the, that that's that's sort of the that's sort of, I think, in my case where I realized, hey, I'm, I'm much more interested in uh, finding something to do with this universe as opposed to just elaborating on it. That's that's interesting because I think for a lot of kids, you know, they're probably in the boat with your friend where, you know, half the fun is just building these worlds and not necessarily figuring out the stories there. So how old were you at this, at this point when you started putting I think these that stories? Was, yeah, I, well, I think in that, that particular universe, and again, this is completely separate from – yeah, I was running my own comics publishing company, uh, Miller Comics, from age basically age nine all the way up to uh, once I started doing uh, you know small press comics, uh, you know, you know, on the amateur level that other people actually got to see, uh, uh, you know, in, in my high school and college years. Uh, but yeah, I, I had my own sort of knockoff Star Wars uh, comic and my own uh, you know, knockoff superhero comics. Uh, again, I never did fan fiction because I I I, w- I was not a good artist, and so I was pretty sure you know gee uh, if I drew an Iron Man comic book nobody would know that it was Iron Man uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, nobody would be able to recognize it and so uh, you know I would I would do things my own way and that way I could draw the ships my own way and and everything and uh, keep it to to where I could do. Uh, but no, I think that the period during that whole, uh, you know, the, the, the shared universe thing, uh, was probably like, uh, age 11 to, uh, just about 13. And that's, that's when his dad took away the big ni- giant notebooks, uh, full of stuff. Uh, cause that's what we would do is uh, we would, uh, he would take them for the weekend and then I would take them for the weekend and, uh, we'd spend all of our time in class drawing new things for it. That is so evocative of of my childhood without without being specific. Just you know, it just that sense of of adventure and friendship and all that. that that's a really it's a really nice memory. I like that. Um, yeah, and I, I think the, the you know the the interesting thing about it is uh, I see the echoes of it in things like uh, you know Pokemon and uh, Harry Potter and uh, everything that kids are into. Uh, what whatever happened, you know, whatever generation, whatever year we happen to be in, the kids always have a universe that they've got that's their own, uh, and you know, sort of the special thing about it is that it's complicated and it's exclusionary and it's just for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's and and uh, and I see that with you know stuff that my daughter is into now. I I I've tried asking her about Overwatch and it doesn't make any sense to me. So. <laughs> Oh man, I I understand that feeling. Uh, so let let's talk about when you started to do some Star Wars writing. Did you start on the comics uh, first, or were you writing uh, sort of the novels and the comics concurrently? I, if if my if my research is correct, you started with the comics first. Yes, that's correct. And uh, I was working for uh, the comics trade magazine in the nineties, uh, and had actually pitched or attempted to pitch uh, some Star Wars uh, and also Indiana Jones comics to Dark Horse at the time, but was told at that point what I learned later uh, to be you know, definitely the case for everybody, which is, 
doesn't matter, you know, you know that we know you. Uh, we, this is invitation only. Uh, we, they, we, we've got to approach you. Uh, and uh, it wasn't likely that I was going to get to write uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, with no experience having written anything else. Uh, so it it did not happen until later, um, about uh, about a decade later, uh, after I had uh, managed to make some contacts with Marvel and uh, I had pitched them on a a series about an Iron Man villain called Crimson Dynamo uh, that ran as a miniseries. That got me the chance to write Iron Man for a year, and then once I had done Iron Man, I was able to go back to Dark Horse and say, hey, I've actually got some writing credits. Um, now let's, what can I do here? And uh, what, uh, what, what I did was I proposed uh, a number of stories, one of which was similar to one of the ones that I had, was going to propose you know, back in the 90s. And ironically, um, it's a story about that was a story about uh, uh, about Lando and uh, and gambling, uh, and of course the fun thing about that is you know the story that I've got in Canto Bite uh, is not the same story at all, but it is I'm finally getting a, a chance to write about gambling in the Star Wars universe uh, at the card table uh, you know, here many many years later, uh, and of course the other fun thing is one of the stories that Dark Horse also did not pick up at that time uh, is. Uh, in a different fashion coming out from IDW next year as part of their star Wars adventures comic series. Uh, I, so, so basically never throw any idea away. Uh, <laughs> you might, might be able to use it. Um, what they did buy at dark horse was a story. I'd wrote, uh, uh, just a short story with Darth Vader in it. Uh, it ran as an issue of star Wars empire that got me the chance to develop the Knights of the old Republic comic series, Knights of the Old Republic led to just about everything else. Uh, the Lost Tribe of the Sith, uh, short stories and comics, the Knight Errant novel and comics, uh, the Kenobi novel, the New Dawn novel, and everything since then. Now, I want to talk about the Old Republic a little bit here because, um, you know, I was I was at the age uh, where a lot of my friends were, were gamers and were playing the Knights of the Old Republic uh, video games, and then eventually moved into reading the comics, and and you know just getting really invested in this sort of time in Star Wars that was only ever the most vaguely bit suggested in the actual Star Wars films. So right. when you when you are developing a world around that, does it help to almost disconnect yourself from the source material? Because honestly, nothing Han Solo says or does or is ever going to impact what you're writing. So in some ways, is it better to just try and start fresh? Or are you always trying to take from the familiar when you're building yeah. those areas out? Well, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one because that was – uh, the term and the time frame were created by Dark Horse in the old Tales of the Jedi comics. Right. And then BioWare turned it into the video game, uh, the first video game that had come out. And Dark Horse came back to me and said, well, we'd like to use our name again. We'd like to use Knights of the Old Republic since it's, you know, this game is so popular. Uh, but you can put your story pretty much anywhere around the events of the game, before the events of the game – uh, maybe not after the events of the game because they were still doing the second one and there was a they were you know they were kicking around the idea for a third one I think still for a long time. Um, but you know what I said was 
Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come up with an idea and it will be something we can put pretty much anywhere and then we'll figure out where it goes. So that does sort of answer your question to a degree, which is that, you know, the story that I came up with, which is that, you know, Zane Carrick is this, uh, you know, this incompetent or barely competent Jedi student uh, who, you know, ends up being accused of a crime he didn't commit. And he ends up becoming a fugitive trying to clear his name. Uh, we didn't know where that fit when uh, when I came up with it. And then I said, you know what, the best place to put this is let's back it in, um, you know, six or seven years before the events of uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the video game. We know that there was this big cataclysm that had in, happened in that game where the, uh, you know, or before that game, rather, that a couple of Jedi Knights went rogue uh, and and everything fell apart after that. Well, you know, we'll have the, uh, we'll have the, uh, you know, the, the Jedi Seers in my story uh, you know, pr- trying to predict what this horrible event is going to be, uh, and they're going to mistakenly think that their own student, this kid, uh, is is the one that's going to be responsible. Uh, and so it, it all flowed together and fit after that, but it was never the case where I started from the video game uh, events and worked backwards. I had my idea first, and then we figured out how it fit. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, I guess this is as good a time to ask this question as any. You know, you you've written for both the uh, you know the new canon and what's now known as Star Wars Legends. It used to be the extended universe. Uh, how different is it in terms of uh, what you can bring to the stories now that the uh, now that there's a much more tightly controlled, or at least a seemingly more tightly organized and controlled story group? Do you find that that limits what you're able to do, or does it open new avenues that maybe weren't there before? Well, it's much more a two way street uh, because what happened. Yeah, back in the back in the EU period, you, you would have some situations where occasionally an EU uh, generated concept or idea would uh, turn up uh, in a film or or on TV. Uh, yeah, it, it, would, it would. However, you know, there was never any guarantee that that was going to happen when you did it, uh, and you know, it wasn't something where uh, things were organized enough to the point where. Uh, they could give you a whole lot of information in what you were doing uh, to, uh, you know, to you know, plant this. Here's something we're going to do that's in this film that's a year from now, and we want, we want you to introduce this character so that we can get that character developed or something right now. Uh, yeah, that that wasn't something that that happened nearly as often. Uh, you know, it it did happen. They they certainly would try to advise us as well when something was about to happen in another storyline, you know, something happening in the comics that was going to impact a novel or something happening in a novel that was going to impact the comics. Uh, you know, so there's that kind of traffic control going on there. But it wasn't something nearly as, uh, you know, uh, as engineered as things can be when you've got something like the story group, where the story group is... Yeah, they have the roadmap. They know what's going on in all parts of the franchise, TV, movies, novels, games, everything else. Uh, And so, you know, they can not only help you come up with ideas for stories, 
uh, or or offer some direction as to what to write about. Um, but they can uh, they can then say, hey, uh, here's something where you can introduce this character or something that's going to be important over there uh, later on, and it'll look like we planned it because we did. <laughs> and so and so that that's that's kind of cool. I mean, in, in the past, uh, you know, it, it, when things uh, you know looked you know like we you know planned them or like they were designed uh, well in advance, uh, often it was the case, but it wasn't always the case. Uh, but I mean, here we have a situation where, yeah, good lord, we've had Thrawn on TV now. Uh, <laughs> uh, on, on the Rebels TV series, uh, and and you know, and there's you know efforts are being made to make sure that what uh, what is established about Thrawn uh, in the new novels, uh, you know, syncs up with what we've seen on TV. Uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's really I, I think something that uh, was uh, y- you know, I, it, it's one of the things that is a, is a feature of the story group and the way that they do things. Now, do you, uh, has this changed the way that, that star Wars books are pitched? Are they pitched anymore? Or is it more of, there's a project the story group has in mind and they think, well, John's a good fit for this or, you know, um, you know, insert star Wars author's name here. Chuck Wendig is, you know, is good for this. And they approach you that way. Uh, it's tended to be, well, well, this is, this is, this is interesting. Uh, there are fewer slots, obviously, for the novels uh, than there had been in the sense that, you know, these things used to be coming out eight, nine, ten times a year, uh, and uh, b- both a mix of hard covers and soft covers. Yeah, there were a lot of books coming out. I mean, we we had uh, we had uh, you know, periods where, uh, you know, for example, you had the, the nine part series or the 21 part series right. that came out. So there were there were a lot of books out there and there was room to do uh, a, a number of things where, uh, it, it, you know, it, it clearly came from the author or it was you know, totally pitched from the author. You know, Kenobi was not something that anybody had in mind to do uh, other than it would have been nice to have a, a Ben Kenobi novel at some point. Uh, you know, everything about the plot and everything, that was something that I had. And in fact, I had had it for years because I was going to do it as a comic book. Uh, but, uh, you know, what will happen now is, okay, here's, here's an example with Canto Bite. Uh, they wanted to do something that would uh, elaborate on uh, the setting and uh, give people a feeling about what this place is like uh, and, and what the people there are like and how they feel about what's going on in the galaxy and the rest of the galaxy at the same time. Uh, and they, in, in, in our case, we were uh, given uh, at least a, a look at some of the characters that we might see there. Uh, but from there, um, you know, I selected the characters that I was interested in, uh, that I wanted to elaborate on. Everything about the plot uh, is all mine. Uh, in in my story, which is uh, my novella, which is in uh, you know, the Canto Bite book, uh, along with uh, three novellas by uh, three other authors: uh, Saladin Ahmed, uh, Mira Grant, uh, and uh, and Ray Carson. Uh, so uh, the th- four very different stories. All of them are ones that you know the the authors themselves 
you know, you know, basically uh, looked at the setting and said, and looked at the and looked at the characters that we knew were going to you know, appear possibly in you know, this scene or that one or whatever in the movies, and uh, and said, you know, got a story here. Here's 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 the idea, and then we you know, all discussed them with the, the story group and went from there. Interesting. That's a. It seems like a fascinating process right now, um, especially because you know you had the distinction of of writing a new dawn, which is the you know the prequel novel to Rebels. Now, for me personally, I mentioned sort of before when I got into Star Wars, I had a, a long period of time after the prequels where I was not as tuned into the Star Wars universe as perhaps I had been when I was younger, and then uh, I think like so many people. The Force Awakens awoke something in me, and, you know, the problem was I was no longer a 15-year-old kid. I was now, you know, a 35-year-old man with with wife and kids and responsibilities, and so I couldn't sit down and necessarily plow through all the media the way I wanted to. So I have read A New Dawn, but I have not started uh, Rebels yet, because I'm working my way through the Clone Wars first before I get to Rebels. And I have to say, like, reading that book gave me such an incredible... uh, urge to just skip all the Clone Wars and go right to Rebels, because I, I'm, I'm really invested in these characters. And so that's an example where I feel like you probably had a number of goals you had to hit, correct? Like, there must have been a number of things, alright, we have to establish this person and this event and blah blah blah. Yeah. And, you know, even someone like Ray Sloan, who is a huge character in the Aftermath trilogy now, you know, there are a lot of characters that, that needed to be placed. So, from a... Well, there, there were really only two. Oh really? Okay. Uh, oh yeah. Only only Kanan and Hera were brought to me. So everybody else that's there was was mine. Uh, I did not and, realize Sloane was one of yours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she uh, in the first character I created for the thing. Um, oh yeah. The the, uh, the the when they approached me about it, they we you know we we discussed uh, again with the story group, you know what they wanted to see happen. Uh, at this particular point in time, once I decided that it would be at this point in time, because, uh, you know, we had a number of options. It could have been something that happened during the Rebel series. It could have been something that happened, you know, the day before the Rebel series started. Um, you know, one of the options that had been aired was that I could do something many years before when Kanan and Hera met. And I said, yeah, give me that. Uh, because uh, same same thing with the Knights of the Old Republic back in the day. Uh, I didn't want to run into or collide with stories that they had going on at that time. Uh, and, you know, at that point I had story Bibles on the characters and, and on the, on the first season, but you know, those seasons had not been fully scripted yet. Uh, it wasn't something where I was that comfortable, you know, being right on top of what was going on. You know, I knew about Lethal. I knew about, I knew about, uh, the ghost, uh, but I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to be in a situation where, uh, well, that novel, for example, we don't actually board the ghost. Right. Uh, we don't, we don't see what's on there because I didn't know what was on the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, I, I knew what the ship looked like probably before a lot of people did. Um, uh, well maybe, maybe not. I can't, I can't remember what things actually came out. Uh, at New York Comic Con, uh, which was the first place anybody saw you know, anything about it, uh, I, I think though the ghost was a later reveal, and uh, and again the interior, 
I had no idea. Uh, I, I, uh, in fact, when I started writing, I did not uh, yet have visuals on Kanan and Hera. Uh, that uh, that came on, came along later. So again, uh, you know, I, that was something where uh, I had been given a lot of guidelines uh, in terms of what we wanted to try to accomplish and what I needed to avoid doing. Uh, you know, I didn't want to steal any thunder from the, the TV show. Uh, and also, you know, I, I was guided towards, you know, I can do Kanan's origin story. I can't do Hera's origin story. Um, and you know, that was something where some people who commented on the book were like, well, why didn't we get inside her thoughts more than we did, which you know, we really didn't too much of. Well, there was a reason, uh, right. you know, that, that, that was not my story to tell. Uh, and so, so anyway, yeah, they, it, it all ends up working together and it was a case where I would say 95% or so of that book, uh, you know, all did come from me in the sense of, you know, it, it was my notion to put it on a mining planet and to, you know, have the efficiency expert count Vidian and all this other stuff. Yeah. All, all that, uh, all that was, uh, was something where, you know, even though it wasn't something where I pitched, uh, the story and, and, uh, you know, then they said, Hey, let's make a rebels book out of it. It didn't work that way. It went the other way around. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when you're dealing with these, uh, you know, when you're creating new characters, like, you know, again, I, I think that Sloan is one of the great characters in all of star Wars. I'm, I'm really enamored with that character. And when you are creating a character like that in a novel, do you have to stop yourself from trying to dream out three novels down the road, ten years down the road, you know, or are you trying to just create this character for this story here, or in the back of your mind, are you hoping these characters continue to do things and and move on after after you're done with them? It's definitely a uh, occupational hazard. Uh, you wanna you wanna kind of know where you know things could go in the future, so you don't close off story opportunities for yourself. But you really do have to approach every story as if it's going to be the last one you're going to get to tell because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know what's going to happen to the license. Uh, you know, that was that was a thing where it was always a danger when I was writing Knights of the Old Republic because I was spinning this very complicated yarn that had, uh, you know, this conspiracy with a lot of moving parts to it a lot of different characters and a lot of subplots. Uh, and I did not want to, you know, do something where, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I hit a traitor in the series for three years, uh, but I wrote it so that in case I didn't get to do that reveal, uh, because the story, because the series would have gotten canceled or something, I wrote it so that it would work either way. <laughs> and just nobody would, Nobody would ever know that that was what the plan was for that character. Uh, that ends up happening sometimes. I have a character in that year that I wrote on Iron Man who was eventually going to end up turning out to be a traitor. But he turns out happily not to be one because I didn't get to finish that storyline. <laughs> so, uh, but again, I wrote it so that it works either way. Uh, and uh, uh, But I, I think you have to approach these things as what they are, it's a contract to do one thing. If you have a contract to write three books, uh, then absolutely you go ahead and plant your plant your uh, your things that are going to be paid off later, 
uh, you know, that was a thing that I just did. Uh, I, I had my first trilogy that I wrote uh, came out a, a, about a year ago this time for Star Trek, uh, a series of three novels called Star Trek Prey, P-R-E-Y, uh, which was Klingons in this big, uh, you know, sort of political crisis. And uh, that was something where, you know, as I'm writing book one, I'm planning stuff that I know is not going to be referred to again till book three, but I feel safe in doing so because I know that that's coming. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, it really does kind of hang together as this one big 330,000 word novel. Wow. It's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, so you, you've given us, I think, a really interesting insight so far into sort of how the story group works. I want to ask a question that might be a little bit bittersweet for you. And what is your favorite bit of EU stuff that you wrote that you know is never coming back? Yeah. What's your see, favorite that's... lost dog? Well, see, that's that's kind of the thing uh, that I that I wrote. Uh, that's kind of the thing. You, you just don't know. Um, you, you just don't know because uh, it's possible that elements of uh, the Knights of the Old Republic story, for example, uh, you know, I could easily reimagine doing parts of that story, not necessarily in the Old Republic, but. Uh, there, there's nothing about there's nothing about the Knights of the Old Republic comic book, for example, that couldn't have happened in the Clone Wars. Okay, uh, you could you could easily do something where instead of them predicting the rise of Revan, they're predicting the rise of Darth Vader and the Emperor. Uh, there's there's a, a lot of things like that. So so you know, the hope is that you know it, 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 it were something like that to happen where they were said, can we bring this back or bring that back or bring whatever, you could find a way to bring anything back <laughs> <laughs> just just by being clever enough to do it. I mean the the I I had the fortune of not writing anything. I guess uh, I guess I would call it a fortune. Nothing that I wrote took place after. Return of the Jedi. So nothing that I was writing was in danger of being overwritten, really. Um, my episodes seven, eight, or nine. And really, I did so little stuff beyond the Kenobi novel, uh, you know, and a role playing game thing I did. And that original Darth Vader comic book, I did so little stuff that was in between episodes one and six uh, that. You know the chances of of you know those things being completely overwritten or whatever. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not real high. <laughs> so uh, the you know I'm I'm uh, again and the way I kind of look at it again is that these the, the stories all sort of exist in this multiverse simultaneously anyway. Uh, you know none of my favorite Batman stories were ever part of canon. Uh, they were always part of uh, you know some. Uh, Elseworlds or, or what if or something like that. Uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns, that was never part of the original Batman chronology. There is really not any real Batman chronology. It just depends on what year it is. <laughs> right. You know? yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, James Bond, try to try to keep James Bond straight. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's, uh, you know, and it's clear that in the current Bond uh, movie mythos, some things happened, but some things probably didn't. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's, I, I think we're, we, you know, we, we all tend to be pretty good at cognitive dissonance and keeping, 
uh, keeping multiple conflicting ideas in our minds at the same time. That's <laughs> it's, it's a very uh, it's, a, it's a very fun diplomatic answer there. <laughs> Anything could happen, which is which uh, is. Well, true. yeah. I mean, uh, I do. Have I written things that should never come back? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I want to talk about Kenobi for a second because with both Knights of the Old Republic and your Kenobi stuff, those are probably the two areas that I hear fans talking the most about wanting more from. You know, there's been a rumored Obi-Wan Kenobi solo movie with with Ewan McGregor pretty much taking place in the same time that your Kenobi novel takes place, and lots of people are hoping that there's going to be something set in the older public, you know, whether that's Ryan Johnson's new trilogy or a new series of novels or a TV show or something happening in that time frame, you know, so those are two time frames that really fascinate people. And I'm wondering what, um, what sort of inspiration you had for that Kenobi novel. Did you, like, everybody says, you know, at this point, they want it to be a Western. That's the thing you always hear, a Western or like a, a Kurosawa movie. But what were some of the influences that you brought to that Kenobi novel when you were writing it? It was going to be a Western. Uh, I, I, I literally, when I sent the pitch to my uh, my editor at Dark Horse, because it began as a graphic novel, I literally said uh, the the subject line was the Ben Kenobi Western, uh, and the the uh, the inspiration was a movie called Shane, uh, which well. uh, yeah, which uh, uh, starred Alan Ladd, and of course Alan Ladd Jr. was the producer on Star Wars, um, so that's that's a nice connection there. Uh, but certainly, uh, and it wasn't just Shane, but it's a, a number of other, you know, movies that kind of you know connect to the trope, uh, as, as well as you know, there's there's a, a little bit of Lonesome Dove in there as well. Uh, I think when it comes to uh, you know the local town that we get to see uh, as well, and and the you know the lives of the lives of the uh, the lives of the water ranchers and everything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that you know, obviously that's the um, you know, that was kind of the inspiration behind that, uh, and you know I, I I'm delighted with that book and the fact that pretty much everything that we did uh, I think succeeded, uh, and uh, you know and, and the fact that it was a much different kind of a book uh, than I think many readers were expecting. I'm sure they were out there looking for, uh, you know, expecting it was going to be, you know, kind of what we got in Rebels. Well, I won't say if you haven't seen Rebels, so I, I shouldn't <laughs> say. Uh, but you know, there, there's this there's this notion always that in order for you know Ben Kenobi's you know, time on Tatooine to have value, he's got to be constantly fighting off Sith menaces, <laughs> uh, people people coming after Luke Skywalker. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that seems to me like, well, you know, you can really only do that once, uh, it gets harder, the more times that happens to be able to pretend that, you know, you know, that Tatooine is off the grid, uh, and that this was a wise place to take the kid. Uh, you know, likewise, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think you know a lot of people say, "Well, we'd like to see Obi Wan Kenobi going off from Tatooine secretly as an undercover agent, doing this or that or whatever." And I just, I don't. That does not fit with my 
appreciation of the character. My feeling is that he's in jail. Uh, he, he's got to stay on this planet. He's got to stay near this kid. He can't go off gallivanting around. This is his purgatory. This is his shame for having allowed this thing in his own mind, uh, whether he was at fault or not, having allowed this thing to happen to the galaxy. Uh, you know, he is not the new hope. He is the hope that failed. And Luke is the new hope, and he has to sit there. Uh, and and you know this is this is part of um, you know part of uh, part of his his story. I mean, this is uh, so so anyway. Yeah, as to what happens in the future, you know, I you know, you mentioned did I have ideas about later stories? Uh, when I wrote Kenobi, I didn't have any ideas for a sequel at all until I got to the last page, and then I thought of two more. but uh you know clearly those are not things that are going to happen now or necessarily in any any shape that that i would have thought of back then and as far as anything you know in the future your guess is as good as mine or anything having to do with movies again your guess is as good as mine i'm i live again in central wisconsin i am really really far (laughs) from the water cooler uh, out in Burbank, I don't know what's planned, uh, you know. And if I did know, I wouldn't be able to say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I'm I'm not even sure what's been confirmed about anything right now. Uh, you know, I, I I hear the same, I I get the same batch of rumors, and my my uh, you know my Facebook and Twitter feeds light up at the same same time everybody else's do, and and and. Uh, whenever this article or that article or whatever comes along, uh, and you know, it, would it be cool to see? Yeah. Uh, would I would I go see a movie with uh, with Obi Wan Kenobi, for example? In it? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think you speak for all of us when you say you would go see that movie for sure. Um, I I, I want to wrap up with with Canto Bite a little bit more. I don't want to ask anything specific because I know that this stuff is under lock and key and I would not want to get either one of us in trouble for for spilling the beans as it were but I want to talk just generally about the idea of of writing a story that is that is taking place in this new exciting area where you're you're possibly including characters that you know the book comes out you know by the time when listeners hear this the book will have been out just a couple of days uh, at this point and uh you know so th- there might be some some first character meetings or some interesting moments there how exciting is it for you to be not necessarily reacting to something but presaging something and not just i, I don't want to diminish rebels i'm not trying to say that that hinting at something in a tv series is any is any less cool or any less interesting but for folks that are around our age that grew up going to see Star Wars movies in the theaters. How cool is it to know that you have a bit of a bit of a role in preparing people for those movies for that film? Well, I mean, obviously a TV show is seen in the millions and a movie is seen in the tens of millions. Uh, you know, the audience, uh, you know, possibly hundreds of millions depending on what it is. So clearly, you know, that's 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 a big deal. Um, and again, it just really does point to, um, uh, you know, the change, uh, in, in, uh, what we're able to do and, and when, thanks to the story group. Uh, I mean, remember, you know, in Star Wars, 
the comics actually came out before the movie did, and it was fairly revolutionary in the sense that uh, you know the first two issues of the adaptation were out before the before the film was out. Uh, but even then, uh, you have Jabba the Hutt show up in the second issue uh, of that series, and uh, and of course he looks like a monkey. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we called him Monkey Jabba, and of course Monkey Jabba ends up being a character in the Kenobi novel because I love that character uh, because because they found out yeah that's a, that's another thing they found out a way to make him work uh, right. to, to to make him fit in the universe uh, and so that that was that character Mosep Benid who was there uh, but again you know why did that happen it happened because there was no way for you know uh, Howard Chaykin the artist to know that you know this. Uh, that the Jabba scene never got filmed uh, or, or with, uh, or well, well, it got filmed, but they didn't actually do any of the special effects with uh, with Jabba in it. And he was just sent to you know, pick a random you know, character from the, the alien catalog uh, to draw. Um, you know, well, that's not going to happen here. Uh, this is something where, uh, you know, we've got a lot more information earlier on. Uh, and, and so that, that is fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was able to, uh, you know, get answers to questions that I had, uh, about, uh, Canto Bight and, uh, you know, the currency used on, uh, in the casino and, uh, you know, other aspects of the planet and, uh, you know, where people might park their vehicles, for example. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the the stuff that you just wouldn't think that you know is is not going to turn up necessarily in uh, in um, uh, in a story bible or whatever. You know, I I was able to get answers on, and I'm pretty uh, I was pretty happy with that uh, because again, as you're writing your story, you don't know what you don't know yet, um, and you realize, oh gosh, well, you know, does it rain here? What, 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 what is, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what else do I need to know about this place? So again, this is a, this is a very fun story. Mine is, uh, uh, you know, the fourth story, uh, I, I asked to be in the, the final sort of, uh, batting cleanup position in this book, uh, because of how my story relates to the others. All of these stories do share, uh, you know, some characters, some through lines going through them because, uh, they're all about the same night uh, on this uh, in, in this casino uh, and and uh, and racetrack and everything. Uh, and so, uh, you know, mine mine is about a, a gambler who is really on his last chance, uh, who ends up colliding with uh, these three characters uh, whose uh, luck is almost an uncanny force of nature. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he has to try to, uh, figure out a way to, uh, stay alive and yet deal with these three characters, uh, who are, uh, they're very lucky, but they're also very chaotic in terms of, uh, in terms of what they do to his plans. Uh, and I just had so much fun with this thing. I got to design a card game. Uh, I got to, uh, I got to go back and, uh, dig up, uh, you know, the old, uh, the old, uh, Pazak card game from, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I got to find a way to write, uh, that kind of, you know, you know, gambling kind of story that I wanted to write years earlier. That's really fun. All right. Last question for you. And you're an authority on this in a way that not many people are. 
what makes a good Star Wars name? Because I love when I'm reading a Star Wars novel or I'm seeing a new film or something, and there's a name that just so perfectly fits. But every now and then you're reading it, oh, that's not a good Star Wars name. That's that doesn't fit in the universe. So what what makes a good Star Wars name? Um, I think it helps if it's it sounds somewhat earthly, but you, you end up at, you end up at, you end up throwing a random a random letter in there that does not matter. Uh, what, one of my, one of my, one of my cardinal rules is to the extent possible, names should be spoken like they're spelled, uh, 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 name should, name should sound like they read. Uh, so Zane, Z, uh, you know, I, I looked at that name for Zane Carrick and I said, well, you know, that, that's a name that, that it has that sort of old Western, uh, because uh, again, it was even though that wasn't a Western series, he's sort of a he's sort of a maverick kind of a character. Uh, you know, Zane fits with Luke, fits with Han, fits with Ezra in the in the new uh, in the in the in the Rebel show. Um, but what I did was I put a Y in there, Z A Y N E. It has no difference whatsoever. <laughs> makes no difference whatsoever to the actual pronunciation. It just looks a little bit alien, uh, and uh, and now I actually have uh, have uh, you know people have you know I think somebody named one of their chi- uh, one of their kids Zane, and I'm like wow, uh, that's <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I didn't put that silent W in there uh, <laughs> or anything that was going to become a real problem um, because uh, again it's you know you, you you do get into situations where uh, occasionally the name will get in the way. Uh, this is something that really, you know, particularly when I'm writing Star Trek, I'm having to be careful of because uh, there will be species that have very complicated naming structures, uh, and uh, or or you have the problem uh, in Star Trek where uh, everybody's name starts with the same letter, and that gets really confusing. That's a Klingon thing. There's so many people. There's so many Klingons whose names begin with K. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, uh, so. So yeah, I'm I'm always looking for something that um, you know, yeah, kind of has has that simple, uh, you know, fairly earthly tone to it, but maybe is just slightly not what we're expecting. Uh, and then the other thing that I really do avoid is anything that's uh, I think I think there's there's a there's an impulse uh, sometimes to ape the whole Skywalker thing uh, too much. And you can kind of see a self-conscious kind of version of this going on. Cause yes, we got, we got Luke Skywalker and Biggs dark lighter. Uh, right. But then, you know, you'll see sundowner and, uh, and moon killer and you know, star, star killer. Of course we had in the very beginning, but you, know, you, you, you'll see those constructions over and over again. Uh, uh, globe trotter or whatever, <laughs> and, and and you'll realize, okay, yeah, this is this is this is this is you're just trying to ape the Luke Skywalker thing. Okay, we get it. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, I I I find that always amusing, um, and so I I try to I try to avoid that when I can. But yeah, uh, naming is 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 something I I really look at, you know, very carefully. I've got a big. Three three big books of names over here by the desk, uh, just because you know, any name that you come up with, you're going to have to live with for the rest of the story. Right. 
Well, John, where can folks find you online if they want to find out more about your writing and what else, what else you're doing right now? Okay, they can find me on uh, my website, faraway.press.com, where I've got behind-the-scenes pages on every story I've ever done, more or less. Uh, I also am on Twitter uh, at JJM Faraway. I'm on Facebook uh, at uh, at facebook.com slash John Jackson Miller. Uh, and people can also find my comics research that I do. I have a I have a comics history research site uh, called Comicron, C-O-M-I-C-H-R-O-N dot com. And then they can also find that on Twitter uh, at Comicron on Twitter. Let me tell you, as somebody who edits a comics website – Comicron has saved my bacon more times than I can tell you. You know, just it's it's really a useful tool. So thank you so much for that. Well, and I, I've done it pretty much as a hobby for the last you know ten or so years uh, because it was something that I was doing as part of my job, uh, or not really as part of my job. Even then, I was doing more than they wanted me to do. <laughs> but, but but I mean, it wasn't something. That, there was no magazine to publish that information in anymore, and I knew that. You know when the when the publications went away and they eventually did, uh, the the data would go away and I didn't want that to happen and so uh, yeah I am I am constantly adding stuff to it revising it, updating it, uh, in between working on you know my writing projects, um, and it's kind of nice to be able to have that time of the day where you uh, you can just do some math <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to writing. Because when you're doing math, you know whether you have the right answer. You know whether you've succeeded or not. You know whether everything adds up. Uh, you know, when you're writing, you're never actually sure something works or not until you actually see what people think of it. That's a very, very fair point. So follow John on Twitter. Visit his website. Buy his books. And uh, Cancel Bite will be out by the time you hear this. So pick it up. Uh, John, thank you so much for chatting with me. Much appreciated. Oh, <laughs>